Father, thank you for this morning, our time to just be together to uh, worship you through uh, just thinking about these principles that we're looking at when it comes to discipleship, parenting in the home. We know that ultimately it's all about you and not about us. And so help us to think with that mindset as we um, challenge our own thoughts in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Nick, you had a hand up. Did you need something? Nick, did you need anything? Is there any extra printouts? We're still in the same one, chapter, the third one that we were on. So if you have those notes, you probably won't need to get those out. <clears throat> if you didn't bring them, shame on you. You know, um, you should have them. <laughs> we're going through, um, we've been obviously talking about this whole issue of discipleship in the home, <clears throat> really, which has principles for all of discipleship, no matter what it is going all the way back to week one in our priorities, which is obviously beginning with our relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot <clears throat> disciple unto the glory of God unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Uh, I was going to say you can't disciple unless you know Jesus Christ, but that's not true because the world disciples each other. Those who don't know Christ disciple one another. They wouldn't call it that, but they do that, and yet it's not to the glory and honor of God. So we have to know Jesus Christ, and thereby <clears throat> in the home, we have to be committed to uh, our Savior, committed to our spouse and family, and then obviously to others. And then of course, in order to have the right goal when it comes to uh, the issues of our discipleship in the home, we have to remember what God's view of man is, that man is not some inherently good thing, but man is evil. Man is has a heart that is bent towards evil all the time, and he is depraved in every way, and therefore uh, our goal is not to change behavior. Our goal is to work on the heart of the individual. And so God gives directions to us in light of that, but that also, as we've been looking at over the last several weeks, is the challenges that come to us when when we are faced with bringing the principles to bear in the lives of those we are given responsibility for. And of course, we focused on initially Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, because that verse gives us clarity as to the task at hand. And that is that we are to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, or the discipline and instruction, depending on what version of the scriptures you might have, that those original words are translated different ways. Discipline and instruction in the Lord, and of course, <clears throat> that brings with it challenges. One of those we talked about several weeks ago was the right motivation. It's hard to keep motivated in that because the task can be daunting. It isn't that it's a hard task. We, we see that as we've gone on. God didn't make discipleship hard, but because of sin, sin gets in the way. And so it's a daunting task. And so we oftentimes have a difficulty continuing to be motivated because we focus on the wrong things. <clears throat> we please self rather than please God. We search to do things that are 
for our good rather than for the good of those whom God has given us, as well as our own desire to glorify God. And so we, it, it changes our motivation or affects our motivation to do what we ought to be doing and for what reasons we are doing it. We have to be pleasing God and not pleasing others. That's the ultimate goal. And very oftentimes we can even convince ourselves that we're pleasing God when in fact we're pleasing ourselves. And we have to always be challenged with that in our own heart before the Word of God. Did Chris, did you have a question? Did you raise your hand? Okay. <clears throat> if you have a question, just let me know. Just raise your hand, get my attention, throw something, because sometimes I don't look out there. Um, and of course, the one of the most difficult things for us in motivation is trust of uh, uh, trust versus fear. Um, I think that's probably the most prevalent reality that we see on the horizon even today in a lot of different areas, but it particularly is acute when we're talking about discipleship in the home or parenting in the home. We, we operate out of fear often. <clears throat> and we talked about that at length. We ought to be trusting God, not fearing because the scriptures are sufficient. And therefore, we ought to study the scriptures. We ought to ask questions when we're studying them and putting those principles into practice as we learn skillful living. That's what wisdom is, skillful living. And then, of course, the second challenge was keeping the right focus. Not only keeping the right motivation, but keeping the right focus, because oftentimes we think, this task is hard, rather it is simple if we would just do what God asks of us. Well, this morning I just want to finish up this <clears throat> lesson three, and then maybe we can have discussions of questions that you might have, specifics that you're unclear about. But I want to finish up lesson three <clears throat> so that we can move on next time to lesson four. Um, and get into some more specifics about the how-tos when it comes to discipleship. But the, the third um, balance that we ought to have on this issue is this balance between friendship and authority. Friendship and authority. We talked about last time the issue between freedom and responsibility. That was where we ended last time. And now we're dealing with friendship and authority. I don't think there's any of us who would, would give a, a negative response to the fact that we call Jesus our greatest friend, right? He is a friend of us. In fact, he is our brother, he is our Savior. All those titles are used in Scripture. And, and <clears throat> Scripture even tells us to come to Him. Come to Him boldly and to uh, come to Him freely. We have free access to our Savior so that we can find help in our times of need. Hebrews chapter 4 says that. But sometimes we can take that confidence of our approach to Christ, the confidence that we have that we can go boldly and go freely to Christ, sometimes 
we take that and we we lose our sense of awe in respect to Christ. We use statements like, Jesus is my pilot, I'm the co-pilot. You know, we, we, we speak in ways that almost devalue or desensitize us to the authority of Jesus Christ. Yes, he's our friend. Yes, he's our brother. But he is the Lord. And therefore, we are to respect that. There's an awe that we have, even in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So we can't be presumptuous in any way in our relationship with Christ. He is our friend, but like Philippians says, he's our Lord. <clears throat> well, why do I why do I say all that? Because oftentimes that's the same relationship in the home between a parent and a child. Obviously, in a in a far less grand way. Right, We're not Lord in the sense that Jesus Christ is Lord when we're parents. We're not in that sense of highness. We're not holy as he is holy. But we do have a friendship relationship with our children. And yet there's a sense in which there's to be this respect. Our kids, we like our kids to be our friends, but they must respect you as a parent. And this becomes uh, a challenge for us because there has to be a proper balance in that. A balance between our friendship with them and our authority over them. Sometimes we 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 go the other direction and we, we just want our kids to be friends and so we we purposefully and consciously don't do certain things that they may need to challenge their heart, to challenge their life, to to direct them in a way that we know the Word of God tells us we ought to. We don't because it might affect our friendship with them. Have you ever said this to your own own self and maybe with your own words? I don't want to do that because if I do that, it might close the door to them. My voice might not be able to speak to them anymore. You ever said that? Anybody? They thought that? Right there in that kind of thinking is the thinking that is an out-of-balance kind of thinking that my friendship with them is more important than the reality that God has placed me in their life as their authority for now. I am the authority over their life in this sense that I am in the place that God has put me for them to learn what it means to grow up under his care, the admonition and instruction of the Lord. And so we have to allow our children to progress, but we cannot allow them to to progress in this kind of peer relationship with us too quickly. <clears throat> too quickly, or, or we're going to jeopardize potentially their ability to understand the biblical requirement that they have to submit to the authority and teaching of their parents in their life. Is there an authority issue going on in our day and age? 
an angst with authority? Yeah, I find it interesting. Every time I read this text in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3, every time I read this, it amazes me that this is in the text. 2 Timothy chapter 3, realizing the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers. And this one always shocks me. Disobedient to parents. I mean, it seems so out of place, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like it shouldn't be there. I mean, men will be lovers of self and money and boastful and arrogant. We go, yeah, yeah, that's the world we're living in. And disobedient to parents. That's an authority issue. That has to do with authority. They want nothing to do with authority. Even though they say they're godly, verse 5, they hold to a form of godliness, these aren't, he's not talking about kids here. He's talking about men. He's talking about grown-ups. He's talking about people who should know better, who should have been taught, who apparently in some sense have a religion, a religiosity that they have known, have been shown, have attached themselves to because there's a form of godliness. And yet he says, avoid such men as these. Stay away from people like that. Those who do not come under authority respectfully. Well, this is part of the problem in the home. Children are to submit to the parental authority, to parental teaching. That doesn't give parents or you in that position the right to abuse. Jason. Say that, say that louder. No, obviously not in that sense, not in the same way. There's a transition when you're on your own. Now you're an adult, right? But there is a sense in which you honor your father and mother, as it says in the scriptures. Uh, that doesn't mean that they call the shots in your life. But I think what Paul is referring to in 2 Timothy is is simply this. There's an attitude in the heart of man that has been building for a long time that shows itself in this anti-authoritarian attitude in every way. Well, that didn't begin when they became adults. That begins in the home, Susan.
Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, I, I always look at things like that. The example you gave, the, the, the statement on a shirt or whatever on a bumper sticker. And I say, okay, what are you saying? Are you saying don't ever question authority? Don't ever ask a question of anybody who's in an authoritative position. You always listen to that, to that and do what they say. Well, certainly we're not saying that. Certainly we're not. Because someone in authority could easily tell you to do something sinful and you're to not listen to that authority, right? We obey God, not men. So there is a sense in which we, yes, question authority. But the but that statement today oftentimes is carries the meaning of you're your own person, don't let anybody speak to you. You know idea this this despise all authority for the sake of it being authority and so you're right <clears throat> there is this double way that, but the, but again our children are sinful yes their hearts are filled with sin they they are sinners by nature just like we are and yet we have a responsibility to shape it right and if we will not do that then Certainly, they may hate authority even when I bring authority to bear in their life. They may not like it, right? Even, even Hebrews tells us that discipline for the moment seems unpleasant. No one likes to be disciplined, no sinful person, and yet it produces something in the end if we will submit ourselves to it. So <clears throat> we're, we just want to have this balance between our friendship that will grow and grow with our kids as they get older and the authority that we are to exercise our God-given authority in their life when they're under our care. And God gives the grace and wisdom to maintain that proper balance if we'll just simply trust him and trust his word. Number four, we need to have a balance between majoring on issues, major issues and minor issues, right? Keep a balance between the major and the minors, you know. Um, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, speaking to the Pharisees in that chapter in which he just goes right at them, says in verse 23 and 24, Woe to you, scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Why? Because you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and yet you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. In other words, you did the small things, you didn't do the big things. You should have done the big things even though you continue to do the small things. You blind guides, verse 24, because you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You, you have this overbearing reality about who you are. You major on the minors rather than major on the majors. And it's easy to become that because we, we have a tendency to major on those things that are not biblical issues. We have a tendency, we, every single one of us 
has a Pharisee in us. We, we, it's easy to be a Pharisee, right? It's easy to make a, a, a group of rules, a group of standards, something that we can live by, which makes us feel good. So when someone else fails at that, or we, we strain at the gnat, right? But issues involving the heart are the major issues. Heart issues are major issues. Maybe we could even say the internal thing, not the external thing. External things reflect what's going on in the inside. Attitudes of rebellion. Now listen, attitudes of rebellion can be more important than actions. Attitudes of rebellion can be more important than actions. Why? Because attitudes smolder. Actions are done. You see them. Attitudes smolder over time. We need to be more concerned. I'll just give an example here of <clears throat> when your children are, t are small. Sometimes we get more concerned <clears throat> with, well, I'll just give an example in my own home. When my, my kids were small, smaller, one of them would come to me and say, so-and-so did this to me, or so-and-so hit me. And I would always ask the question, okay, did you do anything to provoke that, number one, because I wanted to know what was going on in their heart. But also, I wanted my child to understand that hitting wasn't the issue. The issue is, why did you hit somebody? In other words, they would come and say, I'm sorry, you know, when you bring kids together, I'm sorry that I hit you. Well, no, no, that's really not the issue. How you thought of that person in your own heart was the reason why you hit them. I want to deal with the heart issue, how you think of others and what your heart is doing. They took your whatever or they did this to you, so you felt it right to lash out. That's a heart issue. The lashing out, yes, we don't want that, but that's not the problem. The problem is what caused the lashing out. God wants us to deal with the heart issue. Not really with the outside of the vessel, if you will. The outside might be dirty a little bit, but is the, what's the inside look like? So we have to major on the majors, not on the minors. And then, of course, lastly, we have to understand the difference between our soul focus, the soul focus of the Christian life, and parenting or, or discipleship as an aspect of the Christian life. In other words, it isn't the sole focus of our Christianity, right? 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us what our sole focus is to be in all of life. In everything you do, even down to the mundane issues of eating and drinking, what is it? To glorify God, right? Bring glory 
to God. So parenting, discipleship in the home, is not to be my central focus. Whatever it is I'm doing in the home, whatever it is I'm doing within that important aspect of my Christian life, I'm to be bringing glory to God. So we need to have this accurate perspective of our priorities. Part of us bringing up our children is just part of a grander scheme, a grander theme that God is orchestrating in and around your life. But it cannot be the hub of it. Parenting cannot be the hub of your life. The glory of God must be the hub. Parenting is just one aspect. Your finances are another aspect. Your relationship with your wife or husband is another aspect. Your relationship with outsiders who are in the world is another aspect of it. But the glory of God is the hub of it all. It's the very thing that turns our life, if you will. If we're not working and operating in order to glorify God, then we are not doing the right thing. So it's one priority, glorifying God, among many aspects that it deals with. So we have to keep this in mind. It's an internal, pers- an internal perspective, right? The heart, the heart. We're developing the heart. This takes balance. So never let your parenting consume you to the point where all of life revolves around it. It's just one aspect. So we have to be faithful to apply these principles. It's not, you know, Randy used to say this all the time, it's not complicated. Not complicated. But there are challenges, right? There are challenges to meet the goal. The goal of Ephesians 6, 4. We have to have the right motivation, the right focus, the right balance. And we we do that so that our so we're driven really to our knees before God and that forces us to trust him. Trust him. Which is really what he wants. God just wants us to trust him. Do you trust me? Well, let me let me um, let me give us just a couple questions in light of all that we've gone through over the last couple weeks in just this one lesson. Can anybody think of examples in the Bible where parents trusted God with issues concerning their children? Susan. Okay. 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 She trusted God. Are there any other ones? Who? Mary with Jesus. Okay. I'm surprised nobody came up with the, the glaring one. Okay, Centurion, Jairus' daughter. 
Samuel. I'm sorry. Samson. Okay. Ben. Moses' mother. Yeah, that certainly would be. What about Abraham? Who? Abraham, right? I mean, God told him to go kill his son. What? What? Wait a minute, Lord. The world is telling me to do this with my child, to raise my kids this way, to do this with my kids, or they're not going to be educated enough or whatever it is. The world is saying that. But you're saying... Do you see? God says, trust me. Trust me. I know your child better than anybody. I know you better than anybody. And even if I wanted you to carry it out to the fullest extent, like he told Isaac, I'll raise somebody up. Do you trust me? What about in contrast, are there negative examples? Eli, okay. Hophni and Phineas. Who else? Aaron, his sons. He certainly didn't challenge them. Jacob, there you go. Jacob in Genesis 25. Isaac? Isaac? This boys, David, I mean, they're all over the place, right? Areas where we could think of our own life. I mean, there's certainly, as you survey your own parenting, grandparenting, discipleship, you'd say, man, there's all kinds of areas where I didn't trust God, right? Where I just went my own way. So parenting is an opportunity for us to recognize where our thinking needs to be shaped by Scripture. You ever think of your parenting like that? As an opportunity, God has given you these little cherubs. Maybe some of us are adopting cherubs from across the world. All of those are given by God as an opportunity for you to be shaped in your own thinking, in your own mind, your own heart, concerning the truth of Scripture. Some of us say, thanks, Lord, for the joke. Right? Thanks for that. Right? But that's what it is. So ask yourself, what fearful or sinful thoughts do you need to put off when it comes to your own parenting? What fearful or sinful thoughts do you need to change for us? I like them.
I think that's a good example, Russ, of of um, of of being at times, and we ebb and flow in this. Someone who is outcome based, even on good things, right? I'm going to produce this now. This this is a good thing. We got to, you know, and and it's the very thing you're talking about. And we become, like Russ said, so focused on that, and it becomes ours. We it's our thing, rather than trusting God rather than bringing them up, rather than being faithful in the process and letting that be what honors the Lord. I'm just, fa- I'm just trying to be faithful in the process. The results are up to Him. How they turn out is up to Him. I don't want to have the responsibility, nor have I been given the responsibility to produce something. That's God's business. In fact, if it was left up to us, and it has been, we messed it up. When was that? In the garden. We messed it up. And we were not tainted at the time. And we rebelled. We'll do it our way. You see, I don't want it left to me. I don't want it left to me because I just mess it up. That's obvious. So we have to just allow God to be the one who produces that. So what do you need to put off? What sinful thoughts or fears do you need to put off as you think about these kinds of things, these kind of challenges that come with with discipleship in the home? Right? Meditate on passages like this. We'll just I'll just walk through these a little bit. Psalm 53 or Psalm 56 verse 3. Just to kind of help with these things. Psalm 56 verse 3. When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in him. Boy, if there ever was a verse for our day today, that's it. Whenever I'm afraid, whenever I fear, I'm going to force myself in the direction of trust. 
because fear is easily a ruler. So when I fear, when I have fearful things that go on in my heart with my own parenting and children, I'm going to do what honors the Lord. I'm going to follow what God says. I'm going to have the scriptures as the, the principles that speak. I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear. How about Isaiah 41? Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Don't fear. Don't fear. Obviously, Proverbs 3. You can say 4 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll make your path straight. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Some of you probably know this in your own understanding of, or your own memory. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What opportunities or what what fearful or sinful thoughts do we need to put off? And then maybe just sit down with a pen and paper and identify your strengths Identify your weaknesses and identify them in relation to each of the balances that were mentioned in this lesson. And then develop a, an action plan. That just pick the, the one you struggle with the most. Take that one and develop an action plan to trust the Lord in those things. Any questions? Any comments? Any other? I want to hear from you guys. I know you've heard a lot from me over the last several weeks, but what's questions on your mind? Pete.
That's a great point, Pete. That's a great word that we don't use often in our own language, intentional. But it's a great principle for life that we are to be intentional. In fact, Ephesians 6, 4 has that direction, right? It's an intentional verse. You have to bring them up. We're going to talk about that next time in lesson four when we when we deal with that. It's a it's a it's something you must do. So you have to be intentional. And and far too often, you're right, Pete, we're not. We just sit back and hope for the best. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. Oftentimes in our parenting, we, we spend more time working to keep our children from things rather than directing them how to think in things. You understand what I'm saying? Right? I'm not going to let you do this, 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 or this, rather than training them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so they can, when challenged with A, B, C, or D, they can think rightly in it and through it. My father used to call that insulation. We, we oftentimes parent by isolation rather than insulation. In other words, we don't insulate our children. Is it any wonder sometimes that kids who grow up in the church, after they get to a certain age, they abandon it? Because they have no way, part of the reason, now this isn't all the reason, but part of the reason is they have no way, they've never been trained to think biblically about anything. And so when the world attacks and the world comes with all of its forces, it is are easy prey. They're easy prey. Listen, you got to train them up. Insulate them. Don't isolate them. That doesn't mean you open the doors and open the floodgates and let the world come and never keep them from things. Don't do that only. Teach them why. Teach them how. Teach them how to think and process. Process the Word of God in their life. So that when the world attacks, they can go, no, you know what? That sounds good. My flesh wants that, but I'm not going that direction. I'm not doing it. A whole different deal. whole different deal. Good point, Pete. Thanks. Intentional. Great word. What else? What about some of you older folks who have lived life? You've seen a lot of good things and a lot of mistakes happen. What have you learned from them that would help help these younger folks? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, Russ, you and I are older. Our kids are pretty much grown. There's others here who have kids that are grown. But, you know, I, I think to myself sometimes, man, you know, I was fortunate. My father was very intentional. Um, didn't wasn't perfect. Didn't teach me everything, but was definitely intentional. 
even when I was a teenage kid, my dad paid me $2 an hour to sit with him to teach me what the Bible said. That was how he motivated me because he knew I wasn't going to be motivated. It was just back in the 80s. So $2 an hour was pretty good money. But I mean, that was my father. He, he, he knew it was such an important thing. Even though I'd grown up in the church my whole life, my dad felt it important enough to say, okay, I can do whatever. I'm going to pay you $2. He didn't say, I'm going to teach you the Bible. He said, I, I, I want to I make a deal with you. I want to pay you $2 an hour, but I get to do whatever I want with our time. I own the time. And all I saw was dollar signs. I thought, great. Every time we sat down, we opened the Bible. We just studied the Bible. So, I mean, that's intentional, right? That's intentional. I never got an allowance as a kid. My dad used to tell me, you ate your allowance. It was a grocery bill. You ate it. So he did it that way. Now, that wasn't perfect, but obviously it helped, I think. Challenged me in ways. I wasn't any less rebellious than any other kid. My heart was still sinful in many, many ways. I didn't get saved till I was 24. So, I, you know, it's a great word. I, I don't know how I got on that line, but what did I start with? I don't remember. Pete. You are. You're great. You look, you look like some of us. Be intentional, Yeah. 
When men wear pants, not dresses, in our world. Yeah, that's uh, a great point, Russ. It's a great, great point. Um, I'll just um, end with this this morning. Uh, obviously, you know, not to be morbid or anything like that, but obviously, you all know, a couple of weeks ago, my father-in-law died. And one thing that the Lord has impressed upon me in light of that moment is that there is nothing more important in life than people and the gospel. That's it. And we spend, we spend a lot of time with stuff, doing stuff, interacting with stuff, the stuff that God has given us by His grace to enjoy. Don't ever forget, that can change in a second. In a second. The day my father-in-law died was normal. It was a normal day. Nothing was out of the ordinary. Nothing was different. There was no, man, I, I just don't feel good today. There was none of that. In fact, it was just the opposite. The words he said to us at lunchtime was, I've never felt better. An hour and a half later, he was gone. There are no tomorrows. There are no seconds. Eternity is a moment away. Don't forget that. Your kids need to hear from you. They need to see it in you. They need to hear the gospel and see the gospel. Because today is it. Today is it. Don't go meeting the Lord one day after having an argument with your spouse. Don't go meeting the Lord after frivolity and foolishness. Because today is it. It's over. It's done. And there are no... You know, uh, you know, sitting there with my father-in-law as he was gone, the world around me was still operating, still going on. Nail guns going off, hammers being pounded. And yet this moment in life was happening that was no, it wasn't going to change. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. It's that important. <sighs> And I think that has everything to do with discipleship, frankly. We, we must be discipling one another in each other's lives. I love that word, Pete, intentional. Be intentional. Right.
Exactly. Honor and glorify him in all that we do. All right. Any other questions? Henry. Speak up so everybody can hear. Yeah, and we all have that uh, proclivity, don't we? Because we're all sinners. We all could easily go there. Um, and yet, by the grace of God, here go I, right? Um, at the same time, there's an intentionality to our life with Christ, right? If we, if we turn aside and are willing to have relationships with the things of this earth, as be more important than our relationship with God, we will be in that place. I'd rather have the world hate me and God love me than have the world love me and God not be pleased with me. So that's how we have to think of it in the home. I'd rather have my kids know that their father and mother live by principle before the holy God that they profess and for, then to have a great relationship in some way with my kids or a relationship at all, and God be dishonored in that. That's, that's where we have to divide it. Good input. Thank you for the input.